Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends what is up welcome to the show this is having a blast i'm extremely excited to be joined by a good friend on this episode mr kyle black kyle and i go way back i met him when i was 18 years old nearly 20 years ago kyle booked the very first show game time ever played in california it was at a place called skateland so it was a venue attached to a skating rink and we played there with his band neural and we played with neural quite a bit kyle and the rest of the neural guys were so incredibly kind to us. We loved playing shows with them. I'm a huge fan of their band. We talk about that a little bit. Kyle has also become one of the best and most prolific producers in the scene, and I'm really proud of him. He's worked with bands like Comeback Kid, State Champs, All Time Low, Pierce the Veil, Strung Out, Hit the Lights, Seaway, Newfound Glory, Set Your Goals, Like Pacific, and many, many more. You can check out his website at kyleblackproducer.com for his entire discography, as well as some information on how he records and produces. He is also the owner of West Alley Recording Studios. You can find more info at westalleyrecordings.com. It was so fun catching up with Kyle. I really appreciate him taking the time. He's one of the nicest dudes and he always made me laugh. I think anyone interested in how the special sauce is made, a look behind the curtain will really enjoy this chat. So without further ado, please enjoy this engineering and production filled combo with Mr. Kyle Black. He's down. How are you? Good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. What's going on? Not much, dude. Saturday night. Yeah. Just yeah. Thanks for hanging out with thing. me on a Saturday night. Thank you, dude. Of course. I really appreciate it, actually. I appreciate you taking time. Dude, are you kidding me? It's great to catch up. Yeah, man. It's been, been forever. Doing, man? A lot and not a lot at the same time, it seems. Yeah. I don't know. When was the last time I saw you? Was it 10 years ago? Oh, God. Probably over that, right? It's probably more than that. Was I it a show remember, in, in Kansas? <laughs> Maybe it was a Warp Tour? That's what it was. Yeah, actually, I do think it was Warp Tour. It was when Neural was playing Warp Tour, and I think it might have been 2005 or 2006. Yeah. yeah, which is insane. But I remember we hung out afterwards, and I remember having a conversation with you. We ate food somewhere, and I'm not exactly sure where that was, but I do remember us chatting, and you guys played an acoustic set, and it was Warp Tour, so it was hot. I remember that, but yeah, yeah. long time ago. I mean, you know we were huge Game Time fans, right? <laughs> well, we were huge Neural fans. <laughs> well, that's cool. You know, you know what's mutual. crazy? Neural was actually the first band we played with when we went to California for the first time. That's right. I think I booked you guys because I like. Yeah, you. yeah. Thank you like, very much for that. Rip. 
we always had a blast playing with you guys and there was always a nice enthusiastic crowd and there was always cool people in attendance i remember the first time we met lauren israel did you ever meet him of course i remember him and yeah, yeah. capital yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i remember we played a show with you guys at the cobalt cafe and that was the first time we met him right and i'm pretty sure he was there to see you guys and it was like surreal because I don't even remember how I knew, but I knew who he was. And I was thinking, oh, this must happen a lot out here in LA. There's just a lot of talented bands and this is the place to play if you want to get in front of people for sure. Sure. Yeah. But we, with that guy, I think he was the A&R for Jimmy World. Yeah. Yeah. I think. He signed Jimmy World. And then I believe he signed Less Than Jake as well to Capitol. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. And then our paths crossed a few months later because we bought into this panel thing. We were trying to get in front of Corey Christopher because she was booking for Yellow Card. And Yellow Card was telling us, hey, the only reason we're on the trajectory that we're on is because of Corey Christopher. So we paid to get in front of her. And Lauren Israel just happened to be on the panel as well. And he remembered us from playing that show with you guys at the Cobalt Cafe. Yeah. I thought you guys had something something really good going on. Thanks, man. You know, we're putting out new songs right now. You are? Yeah. New game time. Yeah, which is insane. Yeah, first new song in 17 years. I released it a couple months ago. Wow. Okay, I definitely got to check that out. I'll send it to you. Yeah, we just recorded another one, actually. We've got three so far, and we haven't released the third one. (laughs) I think it's really good. It is still like raging fast. So the first one's really fast, and it definitely harkens back to the old game time stuff. There's three part harmonies, got that double time fat records beat. And then the second one's a little bit more mid tempo. And Uh then the third song is the left turn. It's a little bit heavier. It's actually more neural than anything else. No way. Yeah. But these songs, I was teaching myself to record just shy of 10 years ago. I was just doing it for fun. Finally got a pro tools rig of my own. And I just started teaching myself how to do it. I would skeleton the songs out with reason, you know, fake drums. And I think I used guitar rig for all the guitars and I just wrote a bunch of songs and they resurfaced on an old hard drive. And I thought, "Mm, what the hell? I'll finish these. Awesome. Yeah. And so I asked Nick if he wanted to do that and he was like, yeah, sure. That's cool. That's cool. So same guys. For the most part, yeah, it's Nick, who was the center crazy guy with the glasses larger than life. He's doing it with me and he sings on the three songs. We split up the vocals and then Gabe is playing the drums. Cool. You know, you guys, for whatever reason, reminded me of or remind me or reminded or eventually reminded me of this band that I was I soon started listening to called A Wilhelm Scream. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, uh, which I happen to just have mixed their newest record. Oh, cool. So it's kind of, it was a very nostalgic moment and and so is this. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. I remember Wilhelm Scream. One of the reasons we got connected with so many bands back in the day is because I would offer a place to stay, you know, mm-hmm. and Wilhelm Scream was one of those bands. They came and stayed with me a couple of times. That's awesome. So those dudes were right. It's crazy how it all comes full circle, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, dude. To them. I haven't talked to those guys in forever, but I love their music. Yeah, me too. Yeah. They're insane. They're absolutely like, I've never heard punk rock been played so technically advanced and just so um, complex, you know? Yeah. It's insane. It was an absolute pleasure to mix. It was so fun. It's, you know, not a lot of times or, you know, I'm ended. I'm ending up with so much mm-hmm. notage, you know, so many drum hits and, and you know, it's just. So it was, it was a blast. Yeah, dude, they're a frenetic band. 
they fill the gaps. <laughs> totally, completely. They pretty much yeah. play what you're not supposed to play all the time, <laughs> especially in terms of drum parts and stuff, but in a yeah. good way. Yeah, of course, man. It's cool. I think musicians always appreciate that stuff. You know, I always think of the major label record by Seosin. I don't know if you listened to that record or got into that record. A little bit, a little bit. But the drums, there's so many technical fills and things. I don't know, man. Howard Benson. I know he's a vocal guy. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you're a fan of Howard Benson. I don't know much yeah, I about his work. Sure. I mean, he just put out a lot of those big records within the scene around that time. And cool. I always wondered that too. I always wondered how he allowed him to play so many fills. <laughs> totally. But I mean, it's cool because we got a major label record with tons of really frenetic and technical drums on it, you know, which is kind of a cool thing. Exactly. You know, he tends to be the kind of producer that when a band is a band like them or less than Jake or mm-hmm. who else... Uh, has he done that i really like all american rejects sure Beauty. all american rejects when they have something like unique to bring to the, to the table i think he like just from listening to his records i can tell he enhances that or or lets it let, let just lets it happen you know i think yeah. that's but then there's a lot of records that he does that are like kind of eh. yeah yeah uh, just not lets my it be cup as it is what he kind of lets it be as it is exactly right yeah. So that's that's what, what I think is. is cool about him as a producer. Yeah. And you're a producer. I am. You're like a mega producer at this point, man. It's so funny I don't because know about that. No <laughs> I would consider you. I mean, I listen to your records on the regular. I'm a massive fan of your work. Really? And I remember I was in another band called The American Life. And I think that was actually the last time we spoke, but it was via online. And you said that you were starting to mix, you were starting to build the name for yourself and you were mixing lots of projects. Mm -hmm. And you even very graciously offered to mix one of our early demos just for fun. I think you were just having fun doing it. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for you. Yeah. There was a time where I was like, oh shit, maybe I'm going to be a mixer, you know? Okay. Because that's what I was... That's what I had happened to be doing like straight. Like I would be kicking ass at all the spec mix competitions and whatever you want to call it. And then um, yeah. I was just mixing all the time. And generally, you know, it's, it's a lot less work, you know, to you have a bit more free time and far less stressful than having five dudes in a room. So yeah. I was really enjoying it. And I was really being like, oh, shit, I want to do this and then do this as in be just a mixer. But then I think I started getting lonely and bored Mm -hmm. and like, you know, you're not always getting really well recorded records. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, I mean, to although it's a little different nowadays, Mm -hmm. I've just sort of accepted mixes that are productions that need to get mixed. But what, what it really is, is they need to be produced. Right. Um, they're usually like songs that started as demos that are not completely flushed out mm-hmm. or maybe the amp sims just sound cheap or lame or whatever. And then they got kind of, they got to get tweaked. So nowadays I'm doing sort of like a lot of this hybrid thing where it's a mix, but I'll listen to it and I'll be like, look, this is what I think needs to happen. You know, whether it be retract the bass or retract things. Mm-hmm. And um, or reamp them, or instead of having program drums, let's get a real drummer and then do that. So it's kind of more hybridish yeah. these days. That's cool, man. And I feel like mixing is just a huge part of the production in itself. You track something and then you can turn it into something completely different with the mix. You can I would imagine, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other side to it too, is when you can take something that's like totally flip the presentation and like blow the band's mind, you know, with a different take on it. Like that's that's a really fun experience for everyone involved, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. For sure. And I bet it's fun too when bands trust you. I mean, they've got to trust you at this point because your work speaks for itself, <laughs> but it's probably fun for them to outsource. You know, they track Mm-hmm. And even if they track with you, which a lot of the bands do, they track with you, but mm-hmm. then they step away from it for a second and then you mix it, you finalize it and yeah. conceptualize it too. I bet that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a big that's a big portion of me producing a record, yeah, is like being stuck with the the meat and potatoes and and doing all the production behind the scenes stuff or the comping even like when bands come in here, I usually just um will have take will get the takes even with a drummer and a singer and they won't ever hear it all put together until I'm like done, you know, putting it mm-hmm. all together. And so, yeah, that's what, what did you ask? Why did I say that? Hell yeah, man. I don't remember. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> are you West LA right now? Yeah. You're recording studio. Yeah. Where are you based? Van Nuys. Van Nuys. And do you ever go to, is that near like Runyon Canyon? This is from my own personal curiosity, by the way. That's okay. Yeah. It's about 20, with no traffic, I can get to Runyon in 20 minutes, maybe 25. Okay, cool. That yeah. is the place that I've never been, but the days of Instagram, I follow so many people that it seems like they go there very regularly. And I just want to go hang out there and just see who I've run into. <laughs> yeah, no, you totally would. It's a pretty popular hiking spot, but you know what? There is a lot of great hiking spots in LA. Fryman sure is one is. that I go to a lot. And then there's Griffith Park, which is the Griffith Park Observatory. So you can you can drive up there and park, but you actually got to pay to park or you can walk up the hill. And it's just like this really intense hike. And then you're rewarded with this beautiful view of L.A. So that's that's really good. Runyon's dope because there's like a lot of, you know, people and it's very Hollywood ish, but it actually smells like dog piss. (laughs) <laughs> so many dogs yeah. that go up there and then and the, the piss literally comes down the hill. Yeah, it's all top. working its way down, trickling down. Yeah, it's kind of gross, to be honest. <laughs> That's fair. I just feel like every other day on Instagram, I see Kevin Smith. He's going for a hike. Fat Mike, he's going for a hike. Right. Toby Morris from H2O. All these punk rock legends are just out there exercising. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm that's cool, man. And actresses and stuff. It's fun. How old were you when Neural formed? Okay, so... Were you like 15? Yeah, I was thinking about it, and it was eighth grade or ninth grade in high school. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. You guys were um, a talented bunch, man. Thank you. But yeah, let me tell you how that band was formed, because I'm I'm prepared. Please do. It's actually a really funny story. So there there was a middle school talent show. I was in a band, and I was singing and playing bass, and we were really into ska at the time, like Real Big Fish and, and all the smaller ska bands, MU330 and uh, Voodoo Glow Skulls and uh, Catch 22, sure. Catch 22, Link 80, all the really cool yeah. ska bands. And, and you know, what brought those bands to light was hearing, I think, a Real Big Fish on the radio. Yeah. Know? At one point. And so, and at, before that it was sublime. So sublime had a little bit of ska and, you know, and then real big fish was a thing, or maybe it was vice versa. I don't remember. But anyway, so we played this eighth grade talent show. And of course I'm playing in a band with Aaron, the drummer of neural. And then my friend Philip who played trumpet. So the band consisted of me playing bass, walking all over the place all the time and a trumpet player. And then Aaron as a drummer, it was very stupid, no guitar, 
<laughs> right? But then there was this other band which had a drummer, no bassist, a guitarist, a trombone, mm-hmm. and Kyle as the singer. So yes. here we are, the two, you know, half bands competing against each other. We did it. And, you know, that was super fun. It was me singing for the first and only time live ever. And then I think the day after or after the show, we were like, why don't we just form a band, a ska band? So it was like, we played the show, got together, and we had just like this really dope ska band. You joined forces. Yeah. Trumpet player, trombone player, bass, guitar, drums, and a great singer. And that was first neural, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a seven piece. And then we jammed like that for about a year or so in, in middle school and, and freshman year. And then I think we, I don't know, we kind of grew away a little bit from ska, started listening to bands like Thrice and and things of that nature, things that were getting a little heavier and darker. And in the that we, early 2000s. Yeah, I think this, okay. was, this was around late then. 90s. Yeah. Wait, what'd you say, 90s? Late 90s or into the early 2000s? You no, started I think it was early 2000s. Okay, cool. And then, yeah, so we started off as a ska band. And then throughout high school, we were, you know, just playing and writing music, the entire high school thing. And then wrote a lot of different songs and had a lot of different formations, but the core four members were always the same. And yeah, that's how Neural started. Okay. You know, and then, and then when got, did Charlie come into fold? Charlie was from in there from the beginning. Oh, okay. What did he play originally? Was he the guitar player? Yes. Okay. Oh, cool. actually, no, he was originally a, a horn player, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. What did he play? Trombone? I think it was, no, it might have been just been guitar, but if it was horn, it had to been trumpet or something. I think it was trumpet. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we got signed after high school and then the rest is history, you know? Yeah. And you got signed to Hopeless? Yeah. Is that right? I was listening to Entitlement the other day. Such a great record. Thank you. Okay, cool. So I think I remember having a conversation with you guys back then, and you mentioned that you guys started originally as a ska band. I have this very close friend. His name is Dane Casey. He used to go on the road with us. He's a barber now. He's got a lovely establishment in Kansas City called Ventureman Barbary. And anytime I talk to him and we reminisce about tour, he always talks about how we went and stayed with Kyle Castellani. And you guys were playing thrice tunes in his living room acoustically. And it was the most incredible thing I think we had ever seen we were so inspired just by how talented you guys were and i think charlie was singing some of the songs and kyle was singing backups and it was just so cool you guys were just playing these really technical songs acoustically with these perfect harmonies and (laughs) it was just legit i just have good memories of that thanks just in his living room listening to you guys play appreciate it yeah yeah dude thrice was a definite influence of most bands around that time they were just banging on all cylinders this segues nicely because I wanted to know, I know you from Neural, and then I've been listening to your records now for over a decade. Do you think being in a band gave you a unique perspective? I mean, it must have. Yeah. When it comes to working with bands and things like that. And I think you have a unique perspective in that way. Sure. I'd I'd like to think so. I, I think I can relate to bands that walk in my studio on like a lot of different levels, you know, ranging from talking about traveling, you know, the country, talking about getting playing together. Like there's sort of like a, a, a lingo or, you know, there's mm-hmm. 
I feel like I can talk and I know like the energy and sometimes there's the dynamics between the different uh, personalities within a group are, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I can relate. I can let, I'm very comfortable in there with them, mm -hmm. you know, and I know what it like feels like to be out behind the mic or have your bros around and you're trying to come up with something and present it. And like, how do you get it through to the guys? But luckily I'm there to help be that guy to help them navigate that, but without making anyone feel uncomfortable, you know, like um, back when I was in the group working with different producers and stuff, it was always different. And some different, some producers handled it well and made me feel as a musician good. Some didn't, you know, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. So I take what I've learned and sort of apply it to, to the situations that I'm in for every project. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I think I do excel with groups of guys or girls specifically, I think. Yeah. And you understand their aspirations too. For sure. For sure. Cause they want to get their music out there. They want to get it heard and you're there to help facilitate that. Yeah. What do we got to do to get, to get it there to sound like pleasing and exciting and interesting and ripping if it needs to, or dynamic if it needs to, you know? Yeah. So, this is kind of an off topic question, but slightly on topic. Do you ever get, you don't have to name any of them, obviously, but do you ever get any artists that come to you and they want to put too much like we were talking about earlier? Because I think yeah. some bands can get away with it, but as a producer, sometimes the best thing you could do is edit, right? Sure. I can edit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, every, every, every group is different. Every artist is so different. And I think that's, what's cool about it. Yeah. Sometimes you'll have a group that's just like full of ideas and wants to get every single vocal harmony in that you can think of, or multiple lead guitars and bass fills and drum fills. Sometimes you have a band that doesn't really know what to do and it's super basic you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. and then, and then I got to take the other approach and be like, all right, look, let's add, let's add a bass fill right there because you got a pocket in the vocal. Let's throw a bass fill in there. Let's add a line that comes half, halfway through, through the verse or, you know, or maybe the guitarist has this dope lead happening through the chorus, but it's going to be best if it like comes halfway through the chorus, you know, there, yeah. there's either like breaking it down or bringing it up. It, mm -hmm. It's always a different scenario in every, with every group. So. Very cool. Yeah. So that's exciting, right? Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah. Keeps you on your dynamic. toes. I'm always on my toes. Yeah. That's always. right, man. One thing that I think is threaded through a lot of your work is I like the layers that you create and that you're able to capture from the guitars and being a guitar player. I mean, you're a guitar player as well, bass player, but mm -hmm. I like how you tastefully add melodies with the guitars and there's always a cool additional layer in there. And sometimes mm -hmm. it'll really accentuate the part. Like you'll start out with the, the rhythm and then you'll add this texture guitar part. Sure. And then you might even throw a melody on top of that. I just really like that stuff. I mean, we were always trying to accomplish that in game time as well. And yeah, I think that's very pleasing on the ear and it just, it adds that layer of catchiness to the music that you're listening to. I'm thinking of an album like the state champs record around the world and back there's yeah, a lot cool. of incredibly melodic guitar parts on that record totally. that are so hummable and so sing-alongable yeah yeah there's that i don't think i've actually recorded a record with less lead guitars ever or okay. sorry or with, i i might have said that wrong but yeah that record is full of lead guitars all, all yeah, over yeah. you know and it for better, for worse, who knows? But yeah, it's an that's an exciting record to listen to. Sometimes I listen back and I think like, wow, there's really a lot going on there. 
But, you know, for the time it worked, it seems to have held the test of time. That song Secrets is still one of their most played songs. And I remember yeah, dude. I went pretty ham on the production. There's a lot of a lot of things going on. And if anyone's interested, they can actually go download it from this nail the mix thing that's right you did do nail the mix and that's yeah. a good one to do i think because the mix on that record it still sounds incredible i mean the song you just mentioned it's a total smash it's a single mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. i love that record and i think you're right i think it stood the test of time but i also think it's a good representation of what pop punk should be right now i think it's a really mm-hmm. phenomenal record i think you're being modest kyle well thank you i don't know no that record's killer and i have a lot of friends that i think it transcends a little bit too because it harkens back to pop punk that we grew up on obviously but it takes it to another level and it sounds sonically new and fresh and amazing and i think there's a lot of bands that are trying to emulate that type of sound and derek's got an incredible voice i'm sure that helps when you've got a good singer to work with Oh yeah, it's real. I mean, it's really fun to work with a band like that, where they can all yeah. really play and sing. Yeah, and because then and Ryan's actually, really, comp- yeah, Ryan's really talented too. I like his side projects. Oh yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Great bass player. So when you're able to like work with a band who can like really play stuff, then you can really experiment and try different things. Like I, I recall working with Derek, the singer. And being like, and taking takes and being like, oh shit, you know, what do I say? It's like perfect. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have much to say. We only had like four or five takes, but what we, I was able to do or what we were able to do was like experiment with approaches. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you're nailing the pitch and timing in a take, then you can try like, all right, let's try to, you know, give this take that sort of feeling you know, let's make it feel like you're super anxious or excited or, you know what I mean? You can kind sure. of take it to the next level rather than having to work on um, nailing the pitch and timing. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's, already there. it's more yeah. about the expression of the words and what the words yeah. are trying to convey and exactly. the emotion behind it too. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, so. absolutely. How was recording with David Bendis? Do you think you learned a lot with your experience with him? Yeah, absolutely. I learned a lot of what to do and what not to do. I, I, <laughs> no offense to him at all. Sure. Um, that's probably the I, case for everybody, right? It really is. I, that's one thing I noticed through the years is when I was being produced, I more often than not would learn more about what not to do, not to do than what to do, right? But that being said, that was an extremely grueling process. I learned a lot. I learned how to play really, really tightly. Mm-hmm. I think the whole group did. I think that we were really cut down to size. And, you know, I mean, we played with such vigor and energy on that record. And to be honest, I think him and his crew pulled it out of us. And that's exactly what producers do. You know what I mean? They can like get your full potential. So, yeah, I mean, working with Bendith, geez, it was like, yeah, horrifying and also amazing. You know what I mean? He had really great stories and and thoughts on songs, what was missing, why it's missing this. Usually he was really attentive to like the meaning of of songs and making sure that they had, it all really made sense and didn't leave the the listener hanging, you know, like. Yeah, he wanted the songs to say something. Yeah, like have a really good purpose or meaning. And and uh, so that was super fun. And But it, it was a great experience. And they had, uh, he had awesome engineers like Dan Corneff and Cato, mm-hmm. RIP, um, and John Bender, amazing engineers. So it was just a, a, big, a group of guys who 
like extremely talented guys who were making amazing records at that time, like Paramore, Riot, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, yeah, um, Breaking Benjamin. So yeah, it was pretty intimidating, I guess. Yeah, it was. I believe it, man. Really good time. There's a couple of videos on YouTube of you guys recording. Really? Yeah. There's at least one. I think I remember seeing a couple. I'm weird because sometimes I'll go on YouTube and I'll literally just look up these producers and then I'll put in the studio and you'll cool. get all these behind the scenes footage videos right. that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, totally. I used to do that all the time. You know, there's one producer, Neil Avron, who I really love, who, you know, he's such a, he's, there's like nothing on that guy. There's a couple podcasts, which are really cool, but I wish there was more in him because He's uh, probably one of my favorites currently. Same, man. For the last 20 years, I think I fell in love with him with that first Newfound Glory record, that self-titled. Right. I had not heard anything like that before that. That was sonically, I remember hearing, I went into a seventh heaven and I remember hearing Better Off Dead, that first track with that fat wreck beat, but it was with that major label budget. And it kind of made my brain explode a little bit, but yeah, huge Neil Avron fan. You know, there's quite a bit of footage of him working with yellow card. Cool. I'll try to find something. I'll send it to you. Yeah, please do. Please. Yeah. Cause I know when they signed a hopeless and they were on hopeless probably around the same time you guys were, it was 2011 when they came back from their hiatus and they recorded that album when you're through thinking, say yes. Mm -hmm. And they worked in a tiny, tiny studio. It almost looked like somebody's house. So I think it was a situation where they didn't have to pay a major label budget, but they wanted Neil Avron. They wanted to work with him yeah. and they live streamed the whole thing. So there's a series of oh videos on YouTube. Oh, I got to check that out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And Neil Avron, he seems like a private person. He's not, he's only recently started doing a few podcast interviews and things like that, but totally. yeah, he seems to be well-respected. A lot of the people that I talk to behind the scenes, they really dig his stuff and his mixes. Oh Yeah. I mean, he's the man today. And he just mixes now, right? Yeah, pretty much. And if yeah. he's producing, it's like some crazy legendary shit like Alanis Morissette or Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's cool. Yeah, dude. So did you start recording? I say recording and I mean that in terms of engineering, producing and mixing. Did you start around 2010, 2011? Let me look at the year right now. No, so I started <laughs> in... <laughs> We're in 2021, Kyle. Right. No, I started in high school. You know, I, I was recording the band. Remember that eighth grade talent show I was telling you about? Like mm-hmm. that's, uh, I remember for my birthday or something, I got a four track recorder. Oh, cool. And, I remember those. Yeah. So I record my, record us and then record, you know, my vocals. And I just fell in love with it. Just totally infatuated with hearing myself. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just fascinating. You know, I'd never, never done anything like that. And then, uh, oh, and I got, I was, got interested because I, my stepfather was a sound mixer for movies. So he just, I don't know, I think he just thought it would be cool to buy me a recorder. And it really was, it changed my life really. So were you already playing music by then? Were you already playing bass? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He started and like dating my mom and stuff. And then, you know, he knew about the band and then got me that for my birthday to cool. thanks. See you later. And, um, no, he's actually still my stepdad today, but, um, yeah, the next year I asked for a eight track, a BR eight for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. I loved that. Cause I had some EQs and then I was really into it. And then even the next year after that, I'm like, fuck the six, the eight tracks, let me get a 16 track. And then I think throughout high school, I was working with this Yamaha 16 track, cool. which was like super, like way more legit and it could print CDs. Oh, right wow. So that's when I started like actually like charging people to record, you know, I was getting paid like not much, like a hundred bucks a song or something, you know, but that wow. was, that was sick to me, you know, 
come over for Absolutely. the afternoon and we would record it and then say, cool, I'll, I'll mix this tonight and give you the CD tomorrow. And then <laughs> no. that's a quick turnaround time. It was awesome. Like that. yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Did you ever record any of the neural demos and stuff like that? Yeah, of course. Okay. Actually we have a, the B side album and a lot of those recordings are me. Nice. Not all that's of them. really cool. Yeah. But that's but, rad. Yeah. You guys were talented, very self-sufficient. I remember that. Thanks. That's very cool. And then, you know, I think maybe, I think one of the reasons I mentioned the year 2010, 2011 is that's where a lot of the lists for your discography begin. Right. So was that due to neural not touring or playing shows as much around that time? Um, you started getting more involved with working with other bands and things like that. Okay. So yeah, the band had done um, some touring and then we were getting ready to do our second record, which we ultimately ended up working with David Bendith. But in that process, we had done some writing with different writers throughout the city, like probably like 10 or 10 different guys, I think. I wasn't at every session, but one of the ones I was at was with Mike Green. Nice. And, um, you know, so at the time, you know, that was really cool. I mean, he had just done that Paramore record, All We Know Is Falling. Mm-hmm. and some other things that were really dope. So I was really excited to be in there working with him. And I think we all were. And we ended up writing five or six songs. And he was actually, he was going to be like, we were going to do our record with him if David mm-hmm. Bennett wasn't available. And so anyways, we were getting pretty close with him and doing a lot of songs. And yeah, so we spent a lot of time with him. And and then I said, hey, Mike, if you ever need an assistant or anything, you know, just let me know and I'll be here. And he said, all right, we'll do. And then he's like, do you know how to use Pro Tools? He said, do you know how to tune vocals? And I think I lied and I said, yes. And then, um, no, but I knew how to use Pro Tools, but I didn't really know how to tune vocals. (laughs) So um, anyways, I remember the first project I worked on for Mike was like Boys Like Girls Mm -hmm. live record. And he's like, I need you to do this and that. And I was like, fuck yeah, of course, Boys Like Girls is amazing. You know, they just did this record and I was so I was all over it and got there, got the huge file and I did my work and, you know, I don't know if I nailed it, but maybe I had something in there useful for him to use. And he just kept asking me to help him with things. And he was working on like really cool stuff, like set your goals and all time low. And so it was just a really incredible opportunity for me that I, that was, it was where I wanted to be what I wanted to do. And uh, I just put all my energy into working with Mike Green for about two years. And that's what I did. I got an apartment near his studio and and I was just his dude, you know, editing vocals, comping things. And, and then there would be, and I also tuned drums for him for his records. It was very exciting for me. There was just all sorts of different little opportunities here and there to do stuff at his studio. And a couple of them turned into engineering things. And uh, one of the records he was working on, Pierce the Veil, Selfish Machines, mm-hmm. he had, I think the band had run out of time with him or something like that. And the vocal and the, the singer wasn't ready to record vocals, but Mike had to go on to another project. And then he was like, hey, if you want to track Vic on this record, you can, you got to do it like in the middle of the night though, because I'm working on something else. And And that's exactly what we did for about a week. So yeah, Vic and I would meet up at my green studio and at like eight or nine and just track vocals all through the night. That was an incredible experience too. And I did some other engineering stuff for set your goals in the similar fashion. And that's when all the assistant engineering and engineering credits started building up. And then I started using those credits to get more and more projects as an engineer, you know? Yeah. 
And then I did some stuff with uh, Chad from Newfound Glory. Mm-hmm. That's where I started working. So he he hired me as an engineer to do this hardcore record, Shai Halud. And then of course he asked me to do some stuff for Newfound Glory, what was which was insane. So I did that. That was a lot of fun. And then and so I wasn't really a producer quite yet at this time. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and then I remember I got an email from the singer of Comeback Kid, you know, who was a big fan of the Shai Halud record. And that was more or less like one of the first bigger records that I had produced. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that was, you know, that opened up a ton of doors doing that. But also I had worked with alongside of that, I was working with a band called Heart to Heart, who then got signed to Pure Noise. So I was kind of doing all these things. And eventually I started doing all this stuff for Pure Noise mm-hmm. and Hopeless Records. And, you know, the it was just a wild time where, where like I, I was just people were really interested in working with me. Yeah. But yeah, it was just because I had my hands like all over the place. You know what I mean? In different pots and stuff. And what else? During that time, I had done a strung out record. Yeah. I I did a strung out record and a comeback kid record back to back and hit the lights too. It was like hit the lights, comeback kid, strung out. Three of like my favorite bands ever. Three fantastic records too. Thanks. (laughs) I was literally, I was just listening to Summer Bones and Transmission the other day. And I thought, holy shit, these records sound incredible. Just unreal. So very cool work my friend. I'm yeah. a big fan. I've actually, I've interviewed Nick and he was complimentary of you and he really loves that record. And Thanks. I'm stoked to hear new hit the lights. Should it come out at some point? He said it, yeah. it's going to, so that's exciting. Cool. That's cool. There's so many things I want to ask you about within that time, but totally. the, the main theme that I see is that you're open for opportunity and you're willing to put yourself out there and you're willing to ask, which is so crucial, right? I mean, I think in this right. world, you have to ask for what you want at some point and start moving in the trajectory of whatever it is you're hoping to create and your frame of view. It seemed like you thought, well, I'm already loosely tied to this person. I might as well ask him, Hey, do you ever need some help with assistant engineering and stuff? And you were willing to put yourself out there, but also to help Mike when he was in a grind. And I love that Pierce the Veil record too. I didn't realize you had recorded the vocals, but you were just inserting yourself in a place and putting yourself into a scenario where you can help these people. It's mutually beneficial. But I mean, it started with you playing with your four track and being curious about that and being excited about the prospect of recording your voice and then maybe recording something else on top of it or with it. I think that's what led you ultimately here, experimentation and being willing to put yourself out there, which takes a little bit of guts and humility too, I think. Because there's so many people who flat out refuse to put themselves out there like that or work their way up. I would imagine you thought, okay, at some point I'm going to be a producer, but I'm going to learn all these things while I'm getting there. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean... I think all those guys I worked with, I was trying to be them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. who wouldn't want to work with a band like Paramore, you know, or sure. a band like um, All Time Low or make these great records. You know, that's just so cool to me. And the records themselves are, are amazing. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. So when the door opened, I, I went I went through it. <laughs> yeah. It's a testament, man, to the art. It is this thing, this concrete thing that lasts and develops that legacy over time. Because Mike Green, he's got a big resume too. You guys both have oh, yeah. this big body of work. That's really cool. So what's crazy is Mike Green was actually going to record Game Time's full length. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Huh? Isn't that insane? Sometimes I'm just thankful and grateful for the fact that I'm loosely associated with lots of different people. We've uh-huh. mentioned a lot of people now and you are a bit of a satellite person, meaning you know a lot of people. I think that's from being in a band, but also a producer as well. Mike Green as well. Mike Green... I've heard nothing but good things from all the over it guys. I just interviewed Peter a few months ago and we were talking oh, cool. about Mike Green. Nice. And as I mentioned earlier, I was in a band called The American Life and we went on tour with Artist versus Poet and mm-hmm. they worked with Mike Green. They had just worked with him and they had amazing things to say about him. They mentioned that he is a guitar virtuoso and right. a musician's musician, but also a really nice guy. And yeah, when Game Time signed to Takeover, Mike Green was doing a lot of stuff for Takeover and he was helping Yellow Card record some demos for lights and sounds and they recorded a lag wagon cover so that's where we first were introduced to mike green this is right before he did the first paramore record and i was going to ask you did you ever work with the over it dudes i know you know them we played a bunch of shows i think i was maybe no no i never worked with them probably after that i think their last album with mike green was 2006 or seven. yeah and that's like right when i sneaked in with mike green so It was after that, but that is a great band. Yeah, dude. But I mean, back to Mike Green, yeah, these definitely, not only did I learn how to produce, right, and edit and mix, and I learned so much from Mike, but he's also a genuinely good guy. You know, he doesn't treat people unfairly. You know, he's very honest. You know, he gives credit where credit's due. And that's a, that's a big thing that I don't that I haven't seen out of a lot of other producers, you know. And that's probably the most important thing I learned from him. That kind cool. of stuff. And like you were saying earlier, you learn what to do and what not to do. But really, what I hear you saying is you learned your process because there's going to be certain things that you take away. It's like in business, you may not take everything that this particular CEO does, but if you interview them or if you shadow them for a little while, you can learn their process and you take the parts that work for you and you discard the rest. I think that's always a good strategy. Right, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and so you were probably continuing to learn your process, not only with Mike Green, but then you guys went in to record a record with David Bendith. And the Bendith was, actually I learned, well, Bendith was before working with Mike Green. Okay, cool, okay. So most of my knowledge comes from the schools, the Mike Green School of Rock. (laughs) <laughs> I like <laughs> that. <laughs> and he's still doing it, right? I mean, I feel like yeah. he's still churning out records and producing records. Yeah, and... we're still friends. I haven't talked to him in a while because of COVID and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I look forward to reconnecting with him. And I call him every so often to catch up and see what's going on. Yeah, he's, That's he's cool. Very good though. Is he in the same area? Yeah, nearby. He's like 20 minutes away. He okay, used cool. to track drums here all the time before That's COVID, rad. pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, COVID's thrown a wrench in everybody's plans, right? Did you guys yeah. team up for Living Proof? Is that yeah. how that works? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always wondered because I didn't know. Sure. I love that record. I'm just a big State Champs fan in general. What did that look like as far as you guys teaming up? What yeah, was it? I mean, so my take on it is this. I think like Champs and I did a really great record around the world and back. And I think that, and like how every band wants to do, they want to grow and work with more people and different people. But I think that they really liked what I had done with Around the World and Back. So that I don't think they wanted to abandon that or stray too far from it. Yeah. And I think that was the reason behind keeping me involved and getting other guys involved too, like Mike Green and, and John Feldman. So mm-hmm. that's really what it was, was to sort of keep the tone and the vibe and energy, but get like, you know, input from guys who are really actually great songwriters like Mike Green and Feldman and mm-hmm. and have the whole cake and eat it too. You know what I'm saying? So sure. 
That's what that looked like. But we did we did work together here. Yeah, it, it was collaborative. But I tracked most of the stuff, and actually, they did most vocals with Mike Green, and then the instrumentation was done over here. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So it was a team effort. Yeah, it was fun. And, it, and did they co-write with some people too? I think they co-wrote one song with Mark Hoppus or maybe a couple tunes with Mark Hoppus. Yeah, I think all the other tracks, which was about like five or six, were done with Feldman. And oh, I okay. They, I think they probably did like 10 tracks with them, but only chose to release six of them. So that was incredible, you know, working with him for the first time. He's a really nice guy. Cool. And, uh, you know, is just and a, a legend. <laughs> and a legend. Yeah, I mean, to be able to mix something for, for Feldman is, is it was an absolute dream. You know what I mean? That's a dream come true right there. Bucket list kind of thing. So absolutely. That was fun. And and I met him too. And, you know, we keep in contact and all good stuff. That's great, man. I that love, was a great experience. I love the camaraderie. It's nice to see that you guys can be respectful of each other's work and you can work together and totally. you guys have your own projects too. I don't know. I think that's cool. What's the saying? I always butcher this. Rising tide raises all ships. Sure. Yeah, totally. We also co-produced a, uh, another great record called Seaway. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've listened to them, but uh, dude. That was my favorite record that year. Vacation. Is that the one you're referring to? Vacation. Yeah. So that happened yes. in the same process too. Um, I love that record, man. I think that too. record is absolutely phenomenal. I think Seaway should be the biggest pop radio smash hit band right now. I think they're so good. And that record, my partner, Pamela and I, we really bonded over that record. We were just listening to it nonstop. We saw them play live twice that year. They were just so much fun live. They were great. They're really great. I have a random question, but this yeah. is because I have you here and this is exciting for me. These are all the questions that I want to ask while I'm listening to these records. Cool. Were you guys thinking this needs to have some 90s flair to it? Some 90s Weezer meets vacation yeah oh that's what they want to be that i think they should be that i think they are that they're like a new I mean, generation i think that's what they're doing that. with their newer stuff too they're definitely going more in that direction or have gone and i think it's serving them well right now i think their new record is doing really well but yeah i remember having conversations with andrew and that's really what they wanted to do is like you know but i think they were in like a pop punk scene you yeah. know, and maybe, you know, strain too far from that would have turned too many people off too fast or something. But I think what I understand with Seaway is, is that's what they want to do. And that's what they're doing and more power to them. And yeah. They're getting closer and closer. I mean, it's, they're a great band. I, hopefully they can keep it together and keep touring and, and put out another record again. You know, Absolutely. So, yeah. I'm hoping so. Privileged they, to be they're... part of their legacy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. On that record, specifically the vacation, there's a lot of really great, I think, creative and unique and quirky guitar progressions, chord progressions on that yeah. record that I love. And I think the scene needs more of that, I think. Cool. And, yeah. But still very, very catchy. And sonically, I love the mix on that record. Big, but very catchy at the same time. And the songs are fun and the whole record's good. And every song has its own personality. It has its own lane. Yeah. Yeah. Love that record. My friends, I'll bump into them and they'll ask me, what are you listening to these days? I almost always invariably recommend Seaway to them. Cool. Listen to their last, most recent two records because those are two phenomenal pop rock records. Very cool. So set the scene for me. What was a really special album that you worked on? We may have already mentioned it here, but one that you feel close to, what was the experience like wow. when you were recording um, it? Yeah, I mean, so many, but I would think that the most, a really great memorable experience was working with Comeback Kid, I think. 
Yeah. So being hired to produce the record was like jaw dropping to me. I couldn't really believe it, but it was happening and I needed to keep my shit together and, and act professional, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, yeah, it was, it was interesting because they, we did part of the record here in LA and part of the record back in Canada. And so the first portion of the record was doing pre-production in a room together live as a band. And that's how I did most of those records at that time. So we would get together and make sure the tempo was feeling right. And the song as a whole in like a band setting felt really good. You know what I mean? So we'd work mm-hmm. on drum parts and rhythm parts and then record it like live basically. So that's what we did with Comeback Kid. That one was a little more complicated because there's a lot of tempo changes. So it was really making sure the tempos felt right, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, as a group. So we did that for about four days at AMP in North Hollywood. And then, so we had the tempos. And then like, I I remember it was pretty grueling. At the end of the night, we would scratch the guitars. So we had four days to do that and then go do the drums at Ocean in Burbank, which was this huge studio, which is now not a studio anymore, but that's a great, great drum room. And um, we tracked drums there for, I think two days. Yeah, that was amazing. They sound great. And then, so anyway, I took them back studio and they flew home. And then it was, so I had to edit the drums and then fly to Winnipeg and track everything else. And I was there for about two or three weeks. That was amazing. I mean, this, yeah, this is the scene in my head. I'm just recollecting the process. It seems pretty basic to everyone listening now, but I remember in my head, I was just really, you know, really wanted to make their best record, you know, that was better than even like, you know, the, that record with wake the dead or something. Yeah. So I had my ideas and, but they're very, they, they're actually these days much harder band you know they're not as more melodic it's more hardcore so you know there was a lot of like there was like bickering back and forth about things but at the end of the day i think we put together a really great record that's super fun to listen to and really heavy i think it is a heavy record for sure (laughs) yeah i hope so i think the drums sound really great on that record and it was a blast working with andrew from comeback kid he's one of my favorite vocalists yeah i was gonna ask how was recording him i'm sure i believe it yeah really intense he seems like an intense guy yeah i've seen comeback kid a few times now and they're pretty intense live too i just watched their furnace fest set and it was it looked like it was off the rails but yeah you feel his emotions when he sings yeah he's very good at conveying his emotion oh yeah so i remember doing vocals with him and being like really on my toes You know, because you kind of got to be really delicate with this situation where someone's like screaming their fucking head off and you can't really drill them as much as you, uh, I couldn't really drill them as much as I want, I guess, or I could, but I just need to be aware of like the gas tank, you know? Yeah. And that's the hardest part about, you know, recording screamers and hardcore bands is, is like not blowing out their fucking vocals. You yeah. know what I mean? Because if you do, <laughs> then, then like you don't have a record, you know what I mean? And it just yeah. sucks. Cause so I actually had learned a lot from doing the Shai Halud record about how to record hardcore vocals. So I applied that to this situation and it was a lot of fun. I, what we did has had a, like quick conversations about what this line needs to convey. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And then, and go for it and hope that we get it within like one to three takes. Because once you get the take, then you need to double it immediately. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, so well, it's either double it immediately or, or I comp it and then we double it. I think it was like different for each song, but yeah. either way, when working with a guy like that, you know, you think they're always mad at you for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> It's probably because um, they're screaming in your ear. You're thinking, oh, dude, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> you're like kind of careful with what you say and like, ah, can you do it? Can you just sing it harder? You know, or like your pitch yeah. sounds sharp. That's the worst thing actually with him because, because he's like, dude, I'm fucking screaming. <laughs> but I'm like, dude, it sounds sharp and out of tune. So it was very like, you know, a lot of back and forth. It was grueling, but it was super fun and really rewarding. Yeah. I think we had a great time. And actually, I'm still good friends with him and, and the guys in the band that happened to be in town tonight. They just did a record with someone else, which is totally cool. But, you know, we're still good friends. And, you know, I think we respect each other a lot, you know, so... Cool, that man. was a great, probably one of my more memorable times. Being in Winnipeg too is cool. It was very cold and, you know, yeah. I don't know. I loved that. But I could tell stories about every single record, really. I'm sure, man. And I'm sure it was thrilling just to go somewhere else and finish the yes. record, right? Absolutely. I don't yeah. mind sleeping on couches. Like, that's the thing about, like, which I take from being in a band, is, you know, like, Absolutely. I can hang with anything. Like, just give it to me, and I'll be there. There is something that being in a band teaches you about self reliance and self sufficiency, and yeah. it's that old Stoic philosophy where you can get by with not a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Tim Ferriss he always talks about how there's certain people that they'll eat rice and beans all week just to prove to themselves they don't need a variety of food, and it's really just to ah. test their will. Yeah. And I think you learn that in a band, sure. like you said, sure. you don't mind sleeping on couches. It's more about doing the work and then gaining the yeah. experience and, and it I'm doesn't sure really matter where you're at you know to make a record that yeah that proved that, or what kind of gear you have or whatever you know it's like at the end of the day all these these pretty knobs and stuff you know yeah they make things sound a little sweeter but i could still make a record in a bedroom you know what i mean yeah and because it's all about the communication between the artists you know and, and what everyone's going for and how yeah. it should sound and feel at the end of the day. So absolutely, man. Well said. Thanks. Yeah. I, Jimmy world, Jim Adkins, he said that on the last record surviving, they do a lot of their recording largely by themselves these days. Okay. Cool. And they got done with the record and the last song, it's mm -hmm. one of their more rocking long songs. And he was thinking, man, this part, it has this part in the bridge where it'd be really cool to do some woes but i feel like davy havoc should do those woes which is a really good idea on jim atkins part from jimmy world so he literally had davy havoc sing into his cell phone oh and, wow and they used that in the track you know he That's mixed cool. it and it sounds cool i had no idea until he mentioned that oh yeah i can hear the woes and that definitely sounds like davy havoc That's dope. yeah you use the tools at your disposal right you're versatile right. in that way yeah totally you gotta be that yeah way. That's awesome, man. What are you working on right now? Oh, a few different things. Got my hands in a different, a few different pots. One is working with this kid named Jake Hill on some acoustic stuff. I had done three songs with him recently on his record, who's more of like a hip hop rap guy, but still has a thing for rock. And so we, I guess he dabbled, dabbling in some pop punk sounds and whatnot. Anyway, so I did those songs for him. Right now we're doing acoustics versions of that. 
mixing a band called Heavy Thoughts. I think they're from Texas. They're really cool. They sound like Coheed and Cambria almost. Nice. Band like that. When I when I when people hit me up for mixing, like I really actually. I only really mix bands that I want to mix. The more and more I dig deeper into this project, I'm like, really, I feel like I really made a good decision because I think this band has a ton of potential and I'm really enjoying it. Working with a band called Loveless, mm-hmm. dabbling in some new tracks for them, which I think they'll be releasing next year. And then this band called World's First Cinema. Nice. And yeah, that's what I'm currently working on. But recently I had mixed uh, In Her Own Words and A Wilhelm Scream. Nice. And that record's coming out? Yeah, those should be being released in 2022. Killer. That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. That's cool, man. You pay attention to detail. Of course. Yeah. Always. Yeah. It goes back to Neural. Neural was a very tight band, as you said. It was a tight recording. And I would imagine it was because you listen to David Bendith's records and they are very tightly recorded. Mm-hmm. you have to be willing to go the extra mile and really pay attention to those details. I'm sure there's certain things when you get a record and you're mixing it, you probably hear some of the lack of attention to detail sometimes, where as maybe as a mixer, you can have the ability to dial that in and make it as perfect as you need to, you know, without losing that authenticity. Mm-hmm. That was something that Zach and Ken mentioned too. They said sometimes they would get records and the guitars would be out of tune and they'd have to just do their best. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is kind of a weird question, but can you tune scream vocals? It's very hard to, I think maybe with Melodyne, you can get away with it pretty well. Yeah. easier than autotune for me yeah but that's not ideal because then it gets like all out of phase sometimes I, yeah it comes down to like producing a scream vocal you really gotta you really gotta get it there in the take you know it kind of just depends on what you're trying to convey you know if, if a screamer is uh conveying a lot of emotion then you don't want to double it right right sometimes doubling though will help it sit better in the mix. But if you're tuning screams and they come together, it's just kind of gets fucked up and weird sounding just yeah. from my experience. But yeah, that's just me. Yeah. No, I've heard similar things. Yeah. Well, different. cool, man, dude. Thank you so much for giving me your time tonight, dude. I really appreciate it. Of course. When I first started doing this podcast, you were literally my first list of people that I wanted to chat really? with. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, bugging me about getting on here. Of course, my man. Dude, I really appreciate it. For the listeners, we've been trying to schedule stuff for a while now. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And dude, if you're ever in the Midwest, hit me up. I will. Kansas City still? I work in Kansas City. I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, which is basically the same thing. So Mm -hmm. Lawrence is about 45 minutes away from Kansas City. But growing up as a kid, this is where we always went to shows because there's a bunch of venues out here in Lawrence. There's a bunch in KC as well. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I live here and personal trainer out here. That's what yeah, I do in Kansas City. Real quick. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for about 10 years now. Around, I think 2010, I was still in the band. I was in the American Life. Yeah. And I just got really sedentary and unhealthy. And I started drinking a lot. And uh-huh. I just had a bit of a physical transformation shortly after that. It seemed like a long time period back then, but so much time has been removed since then that it actually was a short duration. So I'm giving myself some grace as far as maybe not being as active or as healthy for a couple of years of my life. But my roommate at the time, he got certified to be a personal trainer and we were working out at the same gym and I started working there. 
and really liked the vibe of the place. The trainers were really nice. They would work out in the middle of the day and I wouldn't be doing anything. So they would ask me to join them. And that's really where I started learning how to exercise properly, I guess, for lack of a better word, just to get more benefit out of the movements and things like that. That's when things started to really shift mentally and physically. And I started getting really into self-development and things like that, reading a lot of books. It was just the perfect storm of transformation, both mentally and physically. And so I got certified in training and started doing that part-time. And I was working for another company. I was working in their corporate gym setting. Now I just train full-time. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Drinking. Are you sober now? You know, I haven't drank for four and a half, five years now. And it wasn't something that happened all at once because there was a period of time where I was still enjoying social drinking. And I really did enjoy hanging out with my friends, drinking. There's a big craft beer scene in Kansas City that I was into and things like that. And I don't know. It was one of those things where it always seemed like there was always a reason to drink. Right. And so then I started being a little bit more intentional about when I drank and right. it became like special occasions or out at a show if I hadn't been to a show in a few months. Right. And then it was, if we went to a wedding or a party or something for work. And then all of a sudden it was a year has gone by since I've had a drink and then right. I just stopped. That's nice. It's cool. Yeah. I'm about two years sober myself. Good for you, man. That's yeah. really rad. That's cool. Best thing I've ever done. You know, I think it's one of the better things that I've done for sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because like, I'm a pretty anxious person and I think it really started to exacerbate my anxiety. I think that's one of the reasons I just naturally started to gravitate away from it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. I feel Yeah. Well, congratulations, man. That's really cool. Thanks. (laughs) You too. Are you married? No, no. Are you? Not yet. Soon. Cool. Yeah. The person I've been with, Pamela, we've been together for six years in January. Awesome. That's great. Good for you. Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> That's cool. Good times, man. It was really good to see you. Yeah, for sure, man. Keep in touch. For sure. Touch. We were in California a couple of years ago for a work seminar. It was south of you. It was closer to San Diego. But man, I love visiting California. Yeah. I still miss it. Yeah, come by. You're back we got now. the bug when we went out there, you know, when we were 18 right. in 2002. Everyone gets the bug when they come I, here. Yeah. I mean, so many people I come know. in and out for me. Yes. I have friends that are like, you know, a lot of bands will come and, oh man, we're going to move here, you know, and, and, and do it. Yeah. That has happened a lot, you know, and, and it's, it's cool. I'm like super grateful for that. And I find I have new friends all the time to hang out with. <laughs> That's rad, man. So I'm grateful to be a native though. You know, I got my stake in the ground. I'm not going anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a lot of fond memories of hanging out with you dudes in California. It's sort of like a synonym in my mind. I think California and I think time with Neural, hanging out with Neural. I got to say thank you. You guys were always very gracious. You let us play with you a lot. You book shows for us out there. You let us stay with you. So thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Likewise. And yeah, it's something that we reminisce about quite a bit. So that's cool. Yeah. We do too. We really do. Yeah. I was actually with the guys the other day. So I'll, um, I'll make sure they listen to this podcast and uh, cool. have them reach out to you. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right, man. Thanks well, cool, for man. having me, dude. Of course, dude. It was a pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I have some friends that the last decade, some of the records that you've worked on that you've produced and mixed are some of our favorite records that we're listening to. Because that's what's cool. I have my own space. So we listen to music in there quite a bit yeah. and we crank the music and we're always playing stuff that you've worked on. Well, I'm flattered. That's awesome. 
So great. Yeah, dude. That. Yeah. Cool. Well, cool, man. Well, dude, right, enjoy dude. the rest of your night, the rest cool, of your Saturday. Thanks, man. And I'll keep in touch. Yep, yeah, please do. Let me know when you're done with this and I'll throw it up there. Okay, sounds good, man. Thanks, man. Okay, bye. All right, buddy. You great acceptance from strangers through pictures and filters. Attention from people who don't know you. And now that it's over, how many will be there? To pick you back up because I see right through. I see right through. I know the real you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 